Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, and look who's sitting up here with me. Our guest speaker, Mr. Franklin Graham. Give him a warm welcome. Franklin, a uh, couple questions. First of all, how's your father doing these days? Uh, well, Skip, he's, uh, we had Thanksgiving with him. Uh, he's 93. He's doing, I think, remarkably well. If, if you were to ask him, uh, you know, Dr. Graham, how are you doing? I'm sure he'd give you a long list of uh, aches and pains, but um, he's doing quite well. Um, speaking of your father, you grew up in one of the most famous families in the world. Uh, everybody in the world has heard the name Billy Graham. What is it like growing up with the kind of pressure of being Billy Graham's son? I think when you were younger, Skip, I I didn't realize that uh, our home was different. How do you... I mean, I didn't have anything to compare it to. Uh, So I just assumed everybody uh, had the same kind of home that that I had. Uh, We lived in a a rural area. We didn't live in a gated community. Um, We... we, uh, I went out in the afternoon and we took our rifle and went hunting in the woods and that sort of thing. Uh, but something about our home, every morning we had devotions as a family. Uh, my mother or father would bring out the Bible. We would study a passage of Scripture. We would pray. And in the evening we did the same thing. I can't remember in our home where we didn't pray in the morning and the evening and have just that little time with God. Uh, and how important I think that was for my life, uh, having that example. You know, the people have asked me, what's the, you know, like the real Billy Graham like? Well, the Billy Graham that we saw at home was the same Billy Graham people saw in public. There wasn't two, uh, two Billy Grahams. And I'm just grateful and thankful for a Christian mother and father who loved us children and who gave us a home that was filled with love. Uh, I don't think I ever sensed pressure. Um, I just didn't, uh, again, I just didn't have anything to compare it to, Skip. It was just, it was just home. And um, in, in that home, as you grew up, I've heard stories that you've told in your book, you've told me, that your mom told me as well. Just, you were, you were a rebel. Of course, she could, she could match wits with you. But uh, you were rebellious growing up. Why was that? Why was there a rebellious Franklin Graham? Well, no one can choose Jesus Christ uh, for you. And as I got into my teenage years, I wanted to find out what the, the world had to offer. Uh, it wasn't that I purposely wanted to rebel against God or rebel against my, my parents. I just wanted to go my own way. And I think a lot of us are like that in life. We just want to do our own thing. But there was an, uh, an emptiness in my life. And so the harder you tried to have fun... And the harder you tried to search for things that would give you pleasure or, or happiness, uh, the emptier I became. And it was just like a big black empty hole that uh, was in my life. And Skip, I was uh, 22 when I got on my knees one night and I asked God to forgive me of my sins. And I just said, God, if you can take the pieces of my life and put it together, you can have it. And that night I asked Christ to come into my heart and he for- forgave me. And my life was changed that night. Uh, but like anybody, um, we're all sinners before God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I was, I'm just so thankful that I had Christian parents that set the example in the home 
so that when I was 22 years old, when I was at the bottom, uh, I knew where to call. And I called my Heavenly Father, and He, and he answered. Uh, Franklin, I know that you have preached the gospel to millions of people like your father. I've been in some of the crusades overseas that have just been enormous. But you started out with an interest in doing relief work. You have an organization that reaches out to the physical needs of people who have been um, kicked in the ditches along life's road, as you like to say. What caused you to have an interest in relief work, and why Samaritan's Purse? Well, I was... um 18 years old, and I hadn't given my life to Christ at this time. And I heard about some missionaries in northern Jordan that the Palestine Liberation Organization, the PLO, had liberated their vehicles, and they were walking. And so I uh, went to my father, and I just said, Daddy, I said, listen, if you would buy them a Land Rover, uh, I would pick it up in London, and I would uh, sacrifice my education for a semester, and I would go out there and and help them, you know, uh, work. And, and to, to my, and I thought, of course, my father would say, N- you know, no way. But he didn't say that. He said, well, let me talk to your mother and we'll pray about it. And a few weeks later, he came back and said, Franklin, we've thought about it and prayed about it. And we think you should go. And I thought I deserved an Oscar or something for uh, <laughs> by pulling this over my father's. Uh, but God had a plan. And we bought the Land Rover and I drove it out to Jordan. And I stayed and began to work. But I began to see what God was doing in the lives of this mission. And it had a huge impact. I remember one day they were praying for money to pay a medical bill. And they needed like $433 or something. And they said, Lord, this is not our bill. This is your bill. And this is your name. So if we don't pay the medicine on time, it would be a reflection against you. So, Father, we need $433. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to their prayer. I think it's not going to happen. Is, you know, and, and it's going to shake these ladies' faith when it doesn't happen Monday, because Monday was the deadline. Monday, a check came in the mail for $433 in some sense, exactly what they needed to pay that bill. Now, that back then, it took, Skip, you know, two to three weeks for mail to travel. So that check had been written three four weeks earlier, long before they prayed that prayer. And for me, at 18 years old, listening to these missionaries, it had an impact on me. So when I was 22 years old, when I called upon the name of Almighty God, um, those missionaries had had an impact on my life and had, had helped to mold part of my life. So I was there for the wrong reasons. I wanted to go have fun and adventure. But God sent me to the Middle East to work with those missionaries for a reason and for a purpose. And it was after helping them that I felt that maybe if the Lord would open up a path or a door for me, that I would want to be able to do that through, throughout my life, be able to help people like those missionaries. And through Samaritan's Purse, that we we're able to do a lot of that today. That's a great story. And this is a busy time of the year for you um, because you're consumed with one of the big projects of Samaritan's Purse, and that is Operation Christmas Child, which we've been a part of for many years. It's one of our favorite projects. And um, what makes this so successful? It's a simple thing to do, to take a box and fill it with toys and send it to children around the world. And it's grown from something very small to something very large with almost 9 million boxes this year. Uh, We'll skip the first year we did it. I had a man uh, in England call me in uh, July. said, we're going to take some boxes to children in Bosnia this year, and would you like to help us? And I said, yes. And it was July, so, you know, you don't think of Christmas too much in July. And so it was um, 
time passed and forgot all about it. So December comes along, and my secretary comes into my office, and she has this look on her face like you're in trouble look. And I kind of look out and go, what? What did I do? She said, that man from England is on the phone. What, what man from England? The man that you talked to in July that you said you were going to help him with some shoeboxes? Oh, that guy. Um, okay. Put him on. So he gets, comes on the phone, and he said, well, how many boxes have you collected? Well, I said, we're still working on it. Um, <laughs> if you could call me next week, and I can maybe, maybe I'll have a number for you. And, boy, I was scared, Skip. Um, I called one pastor friend of mine in Charlotte, North Carolina, and explained the program, and if they would ask his church to fill some boxes. I was hoping maybe a 1,000 boxes. Uh, we had like 11,000 come in uh, in one week. And I was so thrilled and so excited, called the man in England, and he was so thrilled and excited. And, and the next year, Skip, you helped us, uh, you and Greg Laurie and some other Calvaries. We had like close to, uh, I don't know, 28 to 50,000 boxes that year. And it has grown now to where we're close to 9 million this year. But the key to the program is, is prayer, asking people to pray. Not pray for the box, but pray for the child who's going to get the box. And God has taken those prayers and He has used those prayers in a mighty way. We want to use every box for evangelism. We want to use every box to tell the kids around the world about God's Son, Jesus Christ. Final question. Uh, I've watched you be interviewed by some of the greats, Larry King and um, um, Sean Hannity, Christian Amanpour, all the different networks. And what I notice about you, somebody could ask you a question about the weather. And you'll talk about the cross of Christ. And it's like you segue immediately make a beeline to the cross. Have you made that a conscious decision that when a mic is placed in front of you that you're going to do that? Well, I think, Skip, I realize that you know, my life could come to an end today. And so what is the most important thing, that if I'm talking to Christian or whoever you're talking to, the most important thing I can do is to tell them about God's love and His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, they can ask you any question, and you, you don't want to be rude and complete, completely ignore them. So you try to halfway answer what they've asked you, but then you want to get to what's the most important, and that is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we thank you for the way you represent our Lord and His gospel. Um, we want you just to see a quick little bumper video before Franklin comes to preach. And this video is going to sort of sum up for you what we have been doing here in our community with Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas Child is a worldwide children's project of Samaritan's Purse that uses simple gift-filled shoeboxes to let hurting children know that they are loved and not forgotten. In 2011, Operation Christmas Child will reach more than 8.5 million children. In the Albuquerque area, 14,962 shoebox gifts were collected this year, representing a 12% increase over 2010. Shoeboxes are collected worldwide and distributed to children in more than 100 countries on six continents. Franklin Graham is president and CEO of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Samaritan's Purse and has been a lifelong leader in relief work and evangelism. Please give a warm welcome to Franklin Graham. Thank you, uh, Skip. 
Also, I want to thank everyone who has packed uh, a shoebox. Uh, every box is different. They're like snowflakes. I, rarely do you see two that are alike. They're just—they're all different, and people put their personality. Uh, we ask uh, people to put your picture in there, uh, write a note to the kid, put your address if you want. Maybe the kid can write you back. Um, and then to pray. Pray for the child who's going to get the box. Because I have no idea. People sometimes will give me a box and say, where's my box going to go? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, when the box leaves here, a roadway truck picks them up. They, uh, they uh, or go to one of our, I think we have 11 processing centers, and there they're segregated into girl boxes and boy boxes and ages, and they're put in bigger cartons, and those cartons are stacked on top of pallets, and then the pallets are shrink-wrapped, and then a forklift picks them up and puts them into a, a container, and uh, away they go. And we work all year long on how we're going to distribute the boxes. Uh, we work with the churches around the world and the various countries. And countries will agree to take so many boxes and churches will agree to take so many boxes when they come. And so the boxes are already spoken for long before we start uh, collecting the boxes. They have already been spoken for. And uh, we give these boxes to the churches and we ask the churches and we give them a manual on how to put on a Christmas program uh, for, the, for the kids in their community. And then to invite the kids off the street to come to the church to get a free gift. Now, some people say, well, Franklin, that's not fair. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> this isn't about being fair. This is about heaven and hell. This is about uh, life and death. And so we want these kids to know that God loves them and cares for them. So... You know, you put a, the pastor gives a, you know, puts a sign out of the church, free gift next Sunday, and, you know, here come the kids, and they put on a program, maybe give them a meal, and then uh, you give them a, a gift. Uh, but before they get the gift, they're presented the gospel and are asked if they would like to receive the greatest gift of all, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ into their hearts. And so we see every year tens of thousands of kids invite Christ into their hearts, and, and we give them the gift, but we don't stop there. We have a 12-week uh, discipleship program that we ask the kids, would you like to come back to the church and take this discipleship program? And so we disciple them and uh, we teach them scripture uh, and how to share their faith. And so here you take these kids that have just made a commitment for Christ and 12 weeks later they've got enough ammunition, uh, verses that they have been able to memorize and study and how to apply them to where they can go out and share their faith uh, with kids. We have a million and a half this year in this discipleship program, all right? So uh, we hope and pray that in the next couple of years we'll have close to 5 million every year take this discipleship program. So it's, it's, we couldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without the boxes. Uh, the boxes open up the door. It's the, it's the key that gets us into the churches, that gets us before these kids, and we're able to, uh, to share God's love with them. But the greatest thing that you can do is to pray. Uh, we know God will hear the prayer of one righteous person. We have 12 or 9 million people praying for 9 million children around the world. Just just think what God might do this year. So thank you for, for each and every gift uh, and how important they are. Uh, so I just thank you. I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning, and it's in the Old Testament, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 33, if you have your Bibles. Second Chronicles chapter 33. Uh, there may be uh, some of you here uh, this morning. I have people sometime tell me, you know, Franklin, 
um, God, God won't forgive me because of, and they will tell me something that they have done in their life that they believe is just so horrific that uh, there's no way that God could forgive them. And many times it's where a husband has done something to the wife or the family or the wife has done something. Um, parents, something that they did when their children were little and they just feel that God will never forgive them for what they did. Um, I mean, there's a long list of failures in our life. Uh, but I meet people from time to time that are just convinced that um, God cannot and won't forgive them uh, for, for whatever they have done. And, and I want to, maybe you're here today, this morning, maybe you're one of those who feels that in your life that you have gone too far, that you're over the edge, and it's too late, uh, and there's no hope. Uh, that God, uh, maybe you felt like you had some chances, you had some opportunities, but you didn't listen to God, and you turned your back, you hardened your heart, and uh, it's now too late. You're over the edge. Well, I want you to know it's um, not too late, and I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. And if you're here today and you're not sure where you stand before God, if you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come uh, to stand in front of this platform, and by coming, saying to God, that I'm sorry for my sin and I want your forgiveness. You see, the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. You see, God loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission to take your sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth to take your sins. He went to the cross. He died and He shed His blood on the cross for your sins. He he was buried for your sins, but on the third day, God raised His Son to life. Jesus Christ is not dead, like uh, some people like to depict where an artist will paint Him still hanging on a cross. He's not hanging on a cross. Uh, his body's not in a tomb. He's alive. He's risen. And He's here, right here today. And if you're willing to put your faith and trust in Him and invite Him into your heart today, God will forgive your sin. He'll heal your heart. And I don't care what, what you have done. I'm here to tell you today that God loves you. And He will forgive you. And He will set you free. And you can have a new life and a new beginning. And I'm going to invite you in just a few moments to get up out of your seat and come stand here in front of this platform. So you'll be ready. If you're not sure today where you stand before God, uh, you can be sure in just a moment. But I want to look at a passage of Scripture uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, probably maybe the, the wickedest man. Uh, in the Bible, and how God dealt with this wicked individual. And it's Second uh, Chronicles chapter 33, starting verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images, and he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, Shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. 
He practiced soothsaying. He used witchcraft and sorcery. He consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He even set a carved image of the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Manasseh's father was Hezekiah. Uh, He was a great king, a good man, a godly guy, um, who did what was right in the eyes of Almighty God. He dies, and here comes a 12-year-old. Can you imagine a 12-year-old kid running anything? Uh, I I mean, he couldn't even run a hot dog stand. And here he's the, the king of this nation, and he begins to undo all the good that his father Hezekiah had done. In just a short time, this kid was destroying the nation. Uh, He rebelled against his father. Not only did he rebel against his father, but he rebelled against his heavenly father. It seemed like everything he did was just to shake his fist in the face of Almighty God and uh, begin to destroy the nation spiritually. And we see that the world is full of rebellion. And if you look at the news, uh, we see what's happening in Egypt and what happened this summer in Libya, what's going on in Syria. We see the, the, the Wall Street people. I, and be honest with you, they're mad as they can be. And I'm not exactly who they're mad at because they put the microphone and interview them. But each one has something else to say. And sometimes I'm not even quite sure what they said. But one thing is for sure, they're mad and uh, they're rebelling and uh, they're rebelling at whatever. And the world is full of rebellion. And the Bible says we have all sinned and come short of God's glory. Uh, And the wages of sin is death. And I'd like to take just a moment and look at this guy, Manasseh. He was a wicked man. He led Israel into idolatry. God hates idolatry more than any other sin. I was just in Egypt. Excuse me. I was just in um, India a few days ago. And now they've got lots of gods over there. I think they've got like a hundred million of them. A lot of them, okay? Uh, They're everywhere. Uh, and they have little stone things, and they're cut out, and people put flowers, and they have incense and all this. And, and they're very sincere, and I, I'm not mocking them at all. It, uh, but you say, Franklin, okay, but this isn't India. But you see, we, we can be guilty of idolatry just like anybody else. And you say, well, how do you do that? Well, things become idols in our lives. What consumes us? What do we think about? What do we talk about? What do we, we want to do more than anything else? Some people, sports can become an idol. I've met people that memorized sports trivia, and they can tell you who was on second base in such and such a game in 1933, and okay, but, you know, who cares? Uh, uh, our cars um, can, can become an idol. Um, our homes uh, can become an idol. Uh, people will look up to music groups and they'll follow and, and a music group will play here and they'll go listen to them and then they're, they're 500 miles away and they'll get in a car and they'll go and follow them and, uh, they become idols. Uh, same thing with movie stars. Uh, people will, will idolize them. And so yes, we can, uh, be guilty of idol worship right here today. But not only did he lead Israel into idol worship, 
He led them into immorality. He had altars to Baal and to Ashtar. Uh, she was the vile goddess of the Sidonese. And the worship of these gods led to sexual type orgies. And uh, he led the nation into immorality. And he got a kick out of seeing how far he could go in this area. And there are many of you today uh, here in this room right now. You're guilty of immorality. And the Bible says flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body, the Bible says. He led the nation into a false religion. Now, he was religious. Oh, and I've had a lot of people say, well, let me tell you about my religion. And, and, uh, and they're, they're very uh, proud of uh, their religion. Well, I'm not here to talk to you about a religion today, okay? Uh, he led Israel into a false religion. He introduced the worship of Moloch with this custom of child sacrifice. He sacrificed his own sons in the fire. But he was religious. And religion cannot save your soul, okay? Religion can't save you. The only one who can save you is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No other person in history has come for this purpose to take your sins other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Muhammad didn't do it. Buddha didn't do it. Only one in all of history, and that's God's Son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ took our sins on the cross. He shed His blood on the cross for your sins. It was your sins that nailed Him to the cross. It was for your sins that He died. He was buried for your sins, but on the third day, God raised Him to life, okay? Jesus Christ isn't dead. He's alive and He's here. And I'm going to invite you in just a few moments. If, you, if you're not sure where your soul stands before Almighty God. And if you say, well, Franklin, I think I'm saved, or I, I hope so. I'm not talking about hoping so. I'm not, thinking, I'm not talking about I thinking so. I want to ask you, are you confident? Are you sure? If you're not sure, you can be sure. Here's this, this guy, Manasseh, this wicked, evil, filthy guy. He, he led the nation into worshiping these false gods. He worshiped spirits. He was a murderer. The Bible said Manasseh shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. That's, I mean, he just slaughtered people left and right. He was a traitor. He betrayed every trust. He defied God. Everything he did seemed to shake his fist in God's face. He worshipped the moon, the stars, and the sun instead of worshipping the one who made the moon, the stars, and the sun. His sins against God were followed by his sins against his neighbor. He was dangerous to live around. The Bible says the, the wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among men. His sins were committed deliberately against knowledge, against the secret checks of his conscience. You see, he knew better. He came from a good home. His father was Hezekiah. And there are many of you here you, this morning, you've been living a life and you've been living in sin and you know better. And God has warned you. You see, God spoke to Manasseh, the Bible says, and warned Manasseh, but he didn't listen. God warned the children of Judah, but they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. Manasseh knew better. He came from a good home. And you see, sin is disobedience. It's breaking God's law. We've all come short of God's standard. You see, have you ever lied? Well, then you're a lawbreaker. Have you ever had lust in your heart? Then you're a lawbreaker. Have you ever stolen anything? You're a lawbreaker. Have you ever given a false witness? You're a lawbreaker. Have you failed to keep the Sabbath holy? You're a lawbreaker. All of us, the point is, every last one of us, Franklin Graham included, we're all guilty of breaking God's laws. We're sinners. 
But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth Him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And the Bible says whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles just at one point is guilty of breaking all of it, okay? You may have tried your best and just failed in just one area, but the Bible says it's the same as if you've broken all of it. You see, we were born into sin. Sin has infected the entire human race. And God isn't satisfied. He loves you. He doesn't want to see any of us pushed out of His presence for eternity. He wants us to be with Him in heaven and glory. But sin blocks the way. And there's nothing that you can do to rid yourself of your sin. You cannot save yourself. That's why God sent Jesus Christ to save us from our sins if we're willing to accept Him by faith. God warns, be sure your sins will find you out, the Bible says. The Bible says a man reaps what he sows. They'll be paid back for what their hands have done. The Bible says, woe to the wicked. Disaster is upon you. And God's judgment fell on Manasseh. God warned him. He wouldn't listen. And God's judgment fell on Manasseh. And Manasseh was destroyed. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. Manasseh was taken as a prisoner back to Babylon. They put hooks in him. And they put chains on him. And the Bible says that they put him back in, in a prison. And while he was in that prison, after he had been captured, the Bible says in his distress he sought the favor of the Lord his God. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entry and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and back to his kingdom. Think about this for a second. Here's this guy... This most, this most wicked man who sacrificed his sons in the fire, who had filled Jerusalem with so much blood from one end to the other, who had led Israel into immorality, had led Israel to worship all of these false gods. This wicked, filthy guy, most people say, good, he got what he deserved. Good riddance. While he was in prison... He humbled himself before God. He called upon the name of Almighty God. God heard his prayer. God forgave Manasseh. And then God released him from prison. And God sent him back and restored him back on the throne. And he rebuilt Jerusalem. All of those gods he, he, he destroyed, he cleaned up the country. And he led the, the nation of Israel to worship the one true God. This wicked, filthy guy. And you think about, well, who, who's the wickedest man then? You know, people may say, well, Adolf Hitler. Or maybe a Mao Zedong. Or maybe a Colonel Gaddafi, you know. Um, or a Saddam Hussein. Here's the most wicked man in the, in the Bible. Who prays to God. And God heard his prayer. And God forgave him and restored him. How about you? Maybe you think, well, Franklin, I'm all, I've gone over the edge. I've sinned too much. I've gone too far. He won't forgive me. That's a lie. He will forgive you. He'll forgive you today. He'll forgive you right now. He'll do it. He'll do it because He loves you. And He sent Jesus Christ from heaven to this earth for you. And what you have to do is you've got to be willing to humble yourself 
and say to God, I've sinned and I'm sorry, forgive me. You've got to be willing to accept His provision for your salvation, and that's His Son. That's His Son. There is no other way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And my question to you this morning is, are your sins forgiven? Are you sure? If you're not sure, you can be sure this morning. You say, but Franklin, what do, what do I have to do? Be willing to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him as your Savior this morning. You say, but Franklin, you don't understand the garbage in my life. God does. No, I, I don't, but God does. And He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to forgive you, but you've got to come His way, and that's through His Son, Jesus Christ. I wanna, that's what I want to ask you to do right now. Um, if you're here this morning and you're not sure, you can be sure right now, okay? You can settle this once and for all right now. And I just want to ask you to get up out of your seat, come make your way to an aisle, and come stand right here. And when you have come, uh, we'll have a word of prayer, and you can go back to be with your friends. If, they, if you came with a group, they'll wait on you. You came by yourself, whatever, you come on. You're not coming to Franklin Graham, okay? I cannot save you. I cannot forgive you. You're coming this morning to Almighty God. You're coming to Him through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. You say, but Franklin, why do you call me publicly? Every person Jesus called, He called publicly, okay? He called publicly. He died publicly for you. They beat Him, they cursed Him, they spat on Him, and they did that publicly. You do it right now. Come on. Let us all stand. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. In the arms of my Savior, there are ten thousand charms. plenty of time are you sure that your sins have been forgiven if you have any doubt any question don't don't leave here today with that question not being answered you can be sure right now whatever you've done God will set you free he set Manasseh free not only did he set him free but he restored him he'll restore you and you say frankly I've been wanting to be restored for a long time Will you come to your Father in heaven right now through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and you can be restored. You can be forgiven. We're going to sing another verse, but you come. We've got plenty of time. Come on. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. And if you tarry until you're better, 
just another moment is there anyone else remember you're not coming to me you're coming to God you're coming to his son Jesus Christ Jesus said I'm the way the truth I'm the life no man comes to the father but by me go away just another moment anyone else you may be in the family area you may be on an overflow up in the balcony you come come quickly there's There's still opportunity, still time. Don't take just another moment. Let us all be in an attitude of prayer. Pray for those to the right and left of you. Is there anyone else? We're going to have a word of prayer in just a moment with those that have come. just another moment. to say a word to those of you that have come. By coming, you're saying to God, I'm a sinner. You say, but Franklin, doesn't God know that? Yeah, he knows that. He just wants to hear you say it. And by coming this morning, you're saying to God, I'm sorry for my sins. And by coming this morning, you're saying to God, I believe Jesus Christ is your son who died for me on Calvary's cross, who shed his blood for me, who was buried for me, whom God raised to life, and I want to invite him into my heart to take control of my life from this day forward, okay? I want to lead you in a prayer. And a prayer is just talking to God like I'm talking to you, okay? Um, 
So I want you to repeat this prayer out loud after me. Okay, I'll, I'll lead you in the prayer, but just repeat it out loud after me. Let us pray. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I want to invite him to come into my heart. To take control of my life. From this day forward. Forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.